finger of your right hand suggested when the plot of a novel was reaching its climax. At the time, I had no washing machine. We're talking 1991. I took my dirty clothes to a laundromat called the City Laundry every Tuesday after work. The place was cluttered with old magazines, old Vogue magazines, brought in by the owner, Gretchen. They were the only reading material, and I tried reading them. The pages were seldom numbered. The pages were chock-a-block with artsy photos and quotes, enlarged and lifted out of context. In articles, the feature copy started near the front of the magazine but quickly jumped to pages near the back. Trying to read a story was like trying to navigate through a Las Vegas casino. It was designed to entice and seduce you. It was designed to trap you. I got lost. I loved it. I told myself, why can't a novel do this? So that's how I originally wrote this book. The story would not unspool as a continuous linear series of and then, and then, and thens. At the end of the first chapter, the reader would be directed to jump to, for example, chapter 30. At the end of chapter 30, she'd be told to jump to chapter 16. Following the plot would mean paging forward and backward, and you'd never know where the story might end. It might all come to a head at the physical center of the book. Better yet, as you hunted for the next chapter, you would glimpse marvelous, ridiculous scenes, and you would wonder, how will the story ever get there? Most of the book I wrote while watching music videos on MTV. Yes, that is how old I am. Back then, MTV still played videos. Now, no doubt, you picture me wearing high-button shoes and rolling a hoop down a dirt road in, I don't know, ancient Thebes. Nobody ever had so much fun writing a book. I would be couch surfing with Alexander Graham Bell and Dolly Madison, watching Echo and the Bunnymen videos. Abraham Lincoln would order a pizza, and Bell would offer everyone hits of MDA. That's how far back this happened. We didn't call ecstasy E. We didn't even call it X. Louisa May Alcott would be rolling as a fatty. I'd shake my head, no. I'd whine, guys, I can't get high. I need to write my novel. And Harriet Beecher Stowe would say, Dude, why can't you do both? You young people, you who think you invented fun and drugs and good times, fuck you. That was my original plan for Invisible Monsters. Even after the reader reached the words, The End, she would still sense that she hadn't read at all. The book would still hold some lingering secrets. You could open it again and find something, as with the Sears catalog or Vogue magazine or anyone you love, something that you'd never seen before. Think D.H. Lawrence's Odor of Chrysanthemums, but scored with music by Bronsky Beat. That's how I originally wrote this book. It was packed with jumps, hidden secrets, buried treasure. I gave the original manuscript to a friend, Monica Drake, the author of Clown Girl. She read it the way she had read every other book, from beginning to end, page one, page two, 
page three, and then, and then, and then. She told me that jumping was too difficult. Readers, Monica warned me, most readers aren't going to want to work that hard. She said they'd get lost. Back then, neither Monica nor I had been published. We didn't want to make trouble. We just wanted for people to love us. So I hammered the story into a nice, smooth, straight line. I threw out the magic. A wonderful publisher bought the rights. It was launched in 1999 as a paperback. It's only ever been a paperback. End of story. Still, Harriet's words kept echoing in my head. Why can't you do both? Twelve years later, the publisher, W.W. W. Norton, suggested producing a hardcover version of the book, and I saw my chance. The Brandy Alexander Witness.